and his um, influence on the world is, is pretty much non-existence for this thousand years. And even though Christ is reigning, he's loosed for a little season at the end of this thousand years. He says he goes out into, this, goes out into the world and he gathers together an army the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And I, I kind of left off last week talking about how, how actually how disappointing that is. In a perfect society with Christ as king, and there's no corruption in government, there's no satanic or demonic influence in society around us, um, it just takes a little bit of Satan's working to gather together an army, the number of the sand of the sea. That speaks to our fallen nature. How weak we are and how fallen we are and how far we are from God. It tells me how well Satan knows us. How well he can exploit us and, and get, get to us to cause us to turn our back on Christ, even in a society like that. In the perfect society, we always blame uh, our circumstances, right? Well, if things were different, if things were better, I'd do this more. If things were easier, I'd do this more. If I, if I had a better job or if the government wasn't so bad, we, we kind of throw these things in. Listen, in here, in the thousand-year range, it's going to be about as perfect as it can be outside of heaven. And it still doesn't change the fact that we're fallen sinners and we're going to turn our back on God. Christ will be on the earth, and we, as I say we, speaking of humanity, humanity will follow Satan. And there will be an army as big as the sand of the sea. Sure. To me, that's striking. We're, we are fallen. We are weak. So he gathers his army. He makes his last stand. And that's where we left off. And right here in the, uh, the, the, these verses in Revelation chapter 20, right here we have the showdown of all time. God versus Satan, right? This is finally when they come head to head and there will only be one winner who walks away. I wonder what we have in our heads when it comes to this. Or maybe even the struggle as a whole, like the the whole um, struggle between God and Satan and good and evil, right? Do we think this is going to be some epic battle that's going to last forever and it's going to be so close, it's barely a winner. Well, this is the ultimate battle of good and evil. I, <laughs> it's amazing to hear some people talk when they talk about um, God and Satan as if they're equals. As if uh, um, Satan has a chance to stand against God and uh, he, he can sometimes pull things off over God. We're going to see that's not the case. Now, Satan knows this, this is his last stand. Satan knows this is his last stand. In fact, these moments here is going to be the culmination of all of human history. you got to think about that too. From the very first pages of Genesis, from the very first moments of creation, Satan has been there, hasn't he? He has been there every step of the way of human history, getting involved, ruining everything. Right there in the Garden of Eden, he comes in. He's there as the serpent. 
starting to cast doubt. Did God really say that? Are you sure, Eve? Did you hear right? He didn't say he would die. He said this or he said that or he places doubt. And those little seeds of doubt take root in our hearts and cause us to turn away from God. And it's been the same cycle, the same story pretty much for every human ever. Satan has been there from creation on. That's his operation, and he has been about that. His demons have been about that operation, about that business from the moment time began. Every human heart has been affected by him or his demonic realms in one form or another. Does not, uh, I think, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The God of this world has blinded their hearts and minds, right? He's kept lost people blinded to the light of the gospel. He's been there. Society has been infected with satanic influence and satanic values. And sometimes we see the, the trend of morality maybe go up and down, but it's, it's always there. He's always there putting his values in, his influence. Governments, if they have any good in them, have been ruined by him. He's been there every step of the way, ultimately drawing humanity to say the same thing as himself. I am God. Isn't that what Satan said uh, basically at the beginning? I shall be like God. Well, if, if he thinks he can be like God, he's putting himself on the same level. And don't we do the same with ourselves? I am master of my own life. I know what's best for me, and I'll decide whether this is true or not. It's the same thing. And Satan has influenced every human heart. All of that history culminates right here. He's going to make his last stand. He's going to make his last stand. He tried to make a stand at the time of Christ, didn't he? He tried to stop Christ from going to the cross and all that goes along with that, that story, but it didn't work. And now here he stands with his army that are numbered as, as the sand of the sea. So let's pick it up in verse 8. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Let's hold there. There's some interesting language that is used here that I just want to kind of stop and so we can get the picture. It's good to, it's good to stop and, and kind of visualize some of these things. It says, they went up. Over the breadth of the earth. One translation says this, they marched over the breadth of the earth. This is a massive army with millions, I'm going to assume, sand of the sea, right? That's, that's John just seeing. It's like there's, there's so many I can't even count. It's like sand on the seashore. Can you imagine a massive army, millions strong, marching in rank and file? Maybe there's tanks, maybe there's weapons, I don't know. doesn't say, and there's no use to try to say one way or the other, but it does say they marched over, they, they, they uh, went up on the breadth of the earth. Now remember, some things are going to change about the landscape in the millennium, and Jerusalem is going to be lifted up on this, this hill, and the, the earth around is going to be flat. So you can imagine, if you're standing in Jerusalem at this time, you're going to see just people to the horizon. And one person 
marching at the front. Satan. He's not going to be behind the scenes here. I don't think he's going to be um, hidden in his demons working. I think he's going to be there with his army marching against the city of God. Probably his head will be held high in defiance. Chest puffed out, maybe. That's what he's always been, right? Prideful. How could you say when you're in the very presence of God the Father, I will ascend to his throne? Probably telling himself he's going to win. After all, he is the father of all lies. Doesn't John 8 tell us that? Somehow convincing all of these people, even though they've seen Christ reigning now for about a thousand years, who punishes unrighteousness swiftly. He, he, the father of lies, has convinced this army with him, we will win. Because now I'm here. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But he'll be at the lead with one purpose, and that is to eradicate God to eradicate Christ, which he's already tried to do and failed, by the way, and to get rid of his people and all of that forever. So we see this massive army marching against. Now, look here in verse 9. It says, and he compassed the camp of the saints. You ever read over that? Probably read past it, didn't think about it much. The camp of the saints. That word camp is a military term. It's a military term. Look in chapter 19 and verse 14. It shouldn't surprise us. This beloved city where Christ is, where His uh, righteous ones, His bride rules and reigns with Him. We always think that's so nice and peaceful. What are we going to be fluttering around on wings saying, oh, please don't do that. (laughs) You better stop. I, mean, I don't know what kind of picture we get. I say this all the time. If your picture of, of heaven is harps and clouds, I'm sorry. That's boring. That is not, not what the Bible talks about. But sometimes we get these, these, these images. But that, it's not quite what the Bible lets on. First of all, there's a camp of the saints, an army encampment of the saints in the beloved city. Revelation 19.14 says, uh, The armies which were in heaven followed him, Christ, on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I tie that right to verse uh, 8 of chapter 19, which talks about the bride who is arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Not only are they his chosen ones, his faithful ones, they make up the armies of heaven. They ride with him on horses into judgment. means they make war with him. They are part of his army. And how does he rule the... The uh, nations with a rod of iron, would it not be through those who rule and reign with him? I didn't write this one down. Give me a second. Okay, uh, chapter 2 of Revelation and look in verse um, 26. Revelation 2, 26. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. 
These are positions of power, of authority, of might. Satan has his army, and so does God. And Satan takes his massive army against the army of God, who is at the beloved city. We get some of that language in Joel chapter 2. So let's go into the Old Testament. We, we visited this a couple months ago. I want to go back just, just to see what we're talking about, maybe to, to add some things to your, to your mind as you, you think about this. Joel chapter 2. You probably have to look up the page in your concordance if you haven't been there in a while. If you find Hosea and Amos, well, it's right in between. Joel. Chapter 2. This is describing the day of the Lord, uh, which I believe is yet to come at Christ's coming, this speaks about, but it also talks about some people that will be with him. So just just notice, if you would, Joel chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh. It is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. Just pause there. Remember, this is where I told you if you wanted to, to write Matthew chapter 24 in the margin, because this is talking about the same kind of thing, the day of the Lord and, and the earth shaking and sun turning to darkness. Same thing Jesus talks about at the time of His coming. But also notice here as it describes uh, some people. A great people and a strong, middle of verse 2, a great people and a strong. There hath not ever been the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and of horsemen, so shall they run. He's talking about these people that... that are with the Lord on this day and they're mighty and they, they look like they're seated on horses and there's nothing that can stand before them. Like the noise of chariots, verse 5, on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of the flame of the fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. By the way, I have written in my margin right there, Revelation 19. When the armies come with the Lord, as he comes to smite his enemies with the sword of his mouth, right? At Armageddon. Verse 8, Neither shall one thrust another. Then shall they shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up on the houses. They shall enter at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great. For He is strong that executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? That verse 11 leads me to believe that what he has just described is his army, his people, his bride. Yes, the Lord has his army. Satan might have his army who's millions strong and they are marching to, to take the city of God. But don't forget, 
God has his army, his bride, who's already once defeated the Antichrist and his armies, right? End of Revelation 19. His bride will have already been through some battles and enacting his judgment across the earth. So it's like army versus army. <laughs> Total uh, good versus evil battle, right? Go back to Revelation 20. So what's going to happen? Well, says they go over the breadth of the earth. They surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And I wonder how long God lets this go on. Does He let it go on for like a couple days? Does He let this satanic army stand there? Does He let him get all set up? <laughs> if, if, if even that. I wonder if He lets him even get near. It doesn't really say, but... Here's where I say sometimes we think there's going to be this final clash and all these armies and good fighting and Satan and God are going to go at it. I don't know if they're going to have a sword fight or whatever people have in their mind. But it's very much not like that now, is it? That is the seventh seal, right? Some people would place it probably right after this. Um, I think it's. I think the seventh seal happens right after the return of Christ because all of heaven is emptied to come down with Him to uh, His armies, not only of His bride, but His angels. So could very well be silence because there's nobody there. You know, they're all they're all coming down here. I don't know. Some people place it at the end of everything, like there's half an hour silence. Seventh seal is one of those that's kind of hard to place, but I, I see what you're saying. It could be. It could be. However long God lets this go on, however long He lets Satan and his armies stand there or get set up, there's no battle. There's no battle. What's the end of verse 9 say? Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Poof, be gone. <laughs> Done. There's, there's, there's no battle. Doesn't even say God gets up off his throne to look. Or Christ comes out of the gates of the city and says, Hey, what are you guys doing? No. Poof. You're done. You're done. There's no there's no epic battle. That's the thing. How is Satan going to be defeated? Is it going to be this long, drawn-out struggle? No. In a second, it's done. Fire comes down from heaven. I've reminded of all the times that fire is mentioned. The fire that led uh, uh, the children of Israel through the wilderness. Pillar of fire by night, right? I'm reminded of the prophet Elijah on the mountain. When he prayed and fire came down and God showed His presence in a real way. Time after time... Fire is, especially when it comes down from heaven, is tied to God showing His presence and His power. And here He does the same. Fire comes down from heaven and devours them. You see that? Them. Okay. All of Satan's army in an instant is burned up. Done. Not Satan himself. He says it devours them. This is not new. 
This was prophesied long ago in the Old Testament. So keep your finger here. Let's go back to book, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38. Now stick with me on this. I want to read the whole chapter. I shouldn't have to apologize for that. Because this is church. <laughs> but listen, read along. You know what we've just read of what Satan has done. And look what it says thousands of years earlier as Ezekiel writes this. Ezekiel 38. Now again, this is one of those prophecy passages which could have fulfillment in near time. It could have fulfillment maybe even in a time after, but the ultimate fulfillment of what this says here, I believe, is what we just read in Revelation 20. Follow along. See what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog. Does that sound familiar? We just saw that in Revelation 20. The chief of the prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them, and say, Thus saith the Lord Gog, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togama in the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, you and all thy company that are assembled me, assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Hold on a second there. What did he say? I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and you're going to do what I want you to do. Right? Everybody saw that? I'm going to draw you and all these other mighty nations out to come against me. Do you understand? Satan does what only what God can allow. Satan doesn't gather this army. God allows it to happen. You try to wrap your mind around that for a little bit. God is a sovereign God. I truly believe nothing happens in this world without Him knowing, without Him allowing, including the workings of Satan. Remember Job? Job is the first book probably written in the Bible. And what do we get a glimpse into the background there, right? Satan comes in to God. And what does God say? Check out my servant Job. See how good he is? Well, yeah, he's just good because you allow that. You let me at him, I'll get him to curse you. You let me at him. Meaning, I can't touch him unless you allow it. And what does God say? Fine, you can do this, but not that. He says that like twice, right? Two or three times. You can do this, only don't do this. Satan can only do what God allows. And here, thousands of years before it happens, God says, I'm going to allow you to be gathered. I'm going I'm to let this happen, and you're going to come against me, all these mighty nations. Verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. You're going to come into this peaceful land. You're going to come against this peaceful land and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have always been waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. 
this land that has been rescued from destruction and is now living in peace, that's millennial reign, right? Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Sound familiar? They sh- they're going to compass the breadth of the earth. Okay. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, and I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say to thee, Are thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take prey? To carry away silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To take away a great spoil? You're going to say in your heart, I'm going to come against these people, and there's going to be people who say, What are you doing? Are you, are you, are you doing what you think you're doing? Therefore, son of man, verse 14, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell as safely, shalt thou not know it, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people that are with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. And it shall be in the latter days I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before thy eyes. All leading up to this, verse 17. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years which I would bring thee against them? (laughs) I love phrases like that. King James is kind of hard to understand when it comes to things like that. Here's the sense I get from it. This massive army is going to be gathered. They're going to come against the city. You know what the Lord's going to say? Hmm. Isn't this just like I said would happen? He's not going to say, oh my goodness, look what's going on. Didn't I tell you you were going to do that? Didn't I tell you I was going to gather you? <laughs> Nothing is outside of the Lord's power. And then what happens? It shall come to pass at the same time. When Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea and the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the earth and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him, upon his bands, and upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, And I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I love passages like that. The Lord already said what was going to happen. Revelation 20 tells us it is going to happen. They're going to come up, and the Lord's going to rain down fire on them and destroy them. So it makes you think. um, 
People would listen, right? They're not. They're not going to listen. I think he's going to turn the army on itself or maybe confusion as, uh, hold on, let me get back to verse 21. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. Um, that usually denotes when there's like confusion or, or, or people fighting against each other. Maybe as the Lord begins to rain down fire, that happens. Um, this sense I get makes sense. So with that, it's done and it's over. So back to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 10. The army is destroyed by fire out of God from heaven. What happens to Satan? Verse 10 of chapter 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's thrown into hell. I don't know if you think that he's there. Some people think he's there like in this massive cavern overseeing different levels of hell and pushing people into a lake with a pitchfork. (laughs) No, he's not in hell. He will be there. He's here, active, doing his best to wreak havoc. Some would even say he's still got access to heaven. You know what Satan means? Satan is Hebrew. Satan means the accuser. He is the one standing before God accusing us, bringing uh, charges against us. See, look at how they've sinned. Look at what they did. Look at this thought. Look at that thought. Which why is why John, I think I believe it's John in first or second John, first John writes and calls Jesus our advocate, right? Satan is the accuser. Jesus is our advocate, the one who steps in. I I believe it's uh, the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So to rescue me from danger, he interposed his precious blood. That, That idea of stepping in between and offering himself as the one who is our advocate, our our defender. Now, he's not in hell, but he will be thrown in hell or the lake of fire. Same thing. If you want to, same thing. I use the term interchangeably. Matthew chapter 25, 41, Jesus says this Everlasting fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's it. There's no battle. He's thrown right into his end. By the way, I think he knows this. Satan is not dumb. He knows the Bible probably better than you and me. He knows this is coming, which is why he is so active and diligent to be about his business. So, no, sorry, no epic battle. (laughs) No clash of armies. Poof, be gone, fire comes out of heaven, takes out Satan's army, and Satan is thrown into the, the lake of fire where he will be forever and ever and ever. And with that, time comes to an end. 
This age, which has been around for six, seven, eight thousand years, maybe longer, depends on what people believe about different passages of Scripture, but this age will be over and eternity will be at hand. The eternal age is here. But first there is a pause, and it's a very important pause because something must happen. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, what? The judgment. This, here, what we'll read right now, is the judgment. Revelation 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the judgment. This is the judgment. I just want to take a few, just one step in, and then we'll we'll pick up that, pick up what what's said here next time we're together. Look at verse eleven. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I believe this white throne is the throne of God the Father. We get glimpses of it, right? Isaiah chapter 6. I saw him seated on the throne in this this beautiful vision of heaven. And then John sees it in this book in Revelation 4. We get little glimpses here and there. But all of a sudden, Satan is vanquished. And there's the throne of God. This great white throne. His dwelling place. The one to whom we answer. It is. It appears, and notice what happens. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. So there's him and his throne, right? From whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. Earth and heaven, gone. (laughs) They fled away. Greek, they vanish. 2 Peter chapter 3, turn back a couple pages, notice this. We know this earth and this heaven is going to come to an end at some point, right? It's going to be remade, restored in the millennial reign. But at some point, this is going to pass away. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse uh, 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This earth is going to pass away. It's going to be dissolved. It's going to cease to be. 
And if you look in Revelation, you don't really get a point where like, oh yeah, that happens there. Except in that phrase where I see, he appears and before his face, everything fled away. And there's no place found for them. Well, who's them? It just said heaven and earth. There's no place found for heaven and earth. It's gone. Consumed by the holy face of Almighty God. His holy presence just takes it all out. (laughs) And there are some people who think they're going to stand before Him and bargain with Him. That, That amazes me. Some people would dare to defy God. I've heard silly people say silly statements like when I get up there, I'm going to say this or they think they're going to argue with God. His face causes heaven and earth to cease to be. Just his countenance. That's what the word face means. His visage, his presence causes everything to melt with a fervent heat that isn't up to the same standard of holiness as him. And you think you're going to argue with him at this judgment? No, you'll be silent. You'll be silent. This is the time when we answer to Him. Every one of us. None of us escapes that. There will either be Christ confessing us before His fathers and the angels, right? Father and the angels. He says that, right? I will confess you before my Father and the holy angels. And by this time, we'll already know who His chosen ones are because they will have been with Him for a thousand years. But I believe there's a point when we are confessed. We are shown off, if you will. Or there is going to be a time when we answer and we come up short. And this tells us what we need to know. This tells us so much in these, these few short verses that impact our life right here and right now and what we need to do and how we need to live. So next time we're together here, we'll, we'll dive into the great white throne of judgment.